Well, good morning, everyone. It's so great to have you share in our Good Friday service. Uh, just a big shout out to our Strong Nation family. Gosh, we're missing you. Hawkesbury, Mountains, Penrith, we love you so much. I uh, hope you're having a great day with your family. Uh, it's uh, a little wet outside, so uh, I guess our traditional uh, McQuaid Park service would have been a bust anyway, sadly. Um, but we're glad that you can join us. And to Cambodia, to, to Townsville, to, to uh, Alice Springs, uh, to so many of our beautiful friends who are, who are watching today. Uh, we're really glad you could join us as we uh, celebrate this very special day. You know, Good Friday for me growing up was uh, a rather sober uh, occasion. Uh, Mum was very intent on us being very cont contemplative uh, and so Good Friday was uh, a time to be quiet and to think a lot about what, uh, what Jesus had done and, and, uh, and certainly uh, today is the saddest day that we think about. Um, it's, it's a horrendous Thing to think about Jesus dying on the cross in many ways. It's an offensive thing the Bible tells us. It is. It's very in your face uh, to imagine uh, the death of Jesus on that, on that cross. And, and yet we know that Sunday is coming. And so it's, it, there is a, a, a sadness that we think about, uh, but also great joy that we know uh, because of what Jesus did for us. So we're going to celebrate that today. We're, we're going to also share in communion uh, together uh, at the end of what, I, what I'm going to share with you. And uh, so, you know, if you don't have those elements ready, you might want to get those elements uh, ready uh, to, to have as, a, as I just share. So when we were raising our children, we thought about Good Friday and uh, we thought about the whole Easter celebration. We wanted to make it really meaningful for our children and uh, to create some uh, a really strong traditions around it. We had all these great traditions around Christmas, but Easter was just as important to us and yet it, it seemed to be lacking in in, uh, in some traditions. And, and so I went right back to the original story and, uh, you know, just looking at the life of Jesus and the events that led to, to him dying on the cross and, and realised that he was actually celebrating the Passover meal uh, the evening before with his disciples. And, and so I began to look into Passover and, and, to, and what, that, what that meant and went back to the original story there in Exodus and, uh, you know, the, the uh, incredible story of how God delivered his people out of Egypt. And, uh, you know, we, we started to put together a few uh, different ideas. And then a few years ago, we got to uh, celebrate uh, a real Passover, a real Seder with our Jewish friends, uh, the Brodies, a big shout out to them who are watching online this morning. And uh, we got to see the incredibly rich symbolism. And it just took on a whole new meaning for us uh, that Jesus did everything with incredible purpose and intent. And he was certainly uh, celebrating the Passover with that same intent. And, and so I, I, I wanted to uh, uh, share some things that I've learnt uh, about that because we can uh, then understand what Jesus did for us in even greater light. You know, that original story uh, was uh, of the Israelites finding their home in Egypt during a time of famine. And uh, over the years, the alliances and the, um, the friendliness towards them from, from the Pharaoh had fallen away. 
Uh, a new Pharaoh was now ruling and reigning and he was quite intimidated by the Israelites. They were uh, multiplying very fast and growing very large and he began to feel that they were a threat. And that we, we see that in the story that he, um, he committed a, a terrible infanticide uh, on Israelite children and in that uh, Moses uh, was born and was miraculously uh, you know, set apart, saved, so that he would one day uh, find his way to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, in that process, uh, you know, Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's heart was very hard. And, and so God sent many plagues, 10 in all. And that final one was the death of the firstborn. And so to protect the Israelites, God instructed Moses to have the Israelites kill a perfect lamb, a perfect lamb and sprinkle that blood on the doorposts and then the angel of death would pass over their household and they would be spared this horrible plague. And of course, that's exactly what happened and that became the very first Passover and then, you know, set off the incredible chain of events of, uh, um, you know, the parting of the Red Sea and, you know, Israel being birthed as a nation. Uh, and so uh, it's an incredible story. And every year we, we watch the Ten Commandments and the Prince of Egypt, love those. You know, you've got to have a little bit of Charlton Heston in your life. And, uh, and they just tell the story so beautifully. And we've uh, really enjoyed uh, developing our traditions around around that. Uh, and so I, I want to, uh, you know, I want to suggest to you that that original Passover and that original s- story that we find in Exodus was really a foreshadowing, a, a foretelling of what Jesus would do. In fact, Colossians chapter 2 says this, Therefore do not let, let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So even the great story of the Exodus is a, is a shadow of the substance of the story and the life of Jesus Christ. He is the substance. And so the Passover points to him as so many things, so many of the, of the traditions and uh, you know, celebrations um, that, that happened all through uh, the Israel's history were really a foreshadowing of the substance that was Jesus Christ. So I want to share with you today about the four cups of Passover. Four cups of wine are poured and drunk throughout uh, the Seder meal. And they represent the four I wills that God spoke to his people at at the very beginning of this incredible chain of events that happened in Exodus. And so I'm going to read to you from Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. These are the four I wills. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I'll be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your, Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. There's a very important scripture and very 
important four I wills that the Lord spoke. And I, I want to just share with you how Jesus actually fulfilled those I wills. And so let's, let's have a look at them. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. Sanctification is kind of a big, big word and not something we use very often. It's really just the process of making something that's unholy, holy. It's that first I will. I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. You know, the Israelites needed saving and they could not save themselves. They were enslaved. There was nothing that they could do. They had no power to rescue themselves. Uh, nothing that they could do. And so God sa says this first one, I'm going to save you. I will do this for you. I will save you because you can't save yourself. And this is absolutely the truth about the human condition. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot be good enough. We cannot be sinless enough, perfect enough uh, to have a relationship with God. It is not within our power to save ourselves. Uh, you know, I was thinking... Uh, on this point uh, of uh, something that happened to us many years ago. We had a feral cat living uh, in the back of our garage and um, she kept coming in uh, looking for food. And so I'm a bit of a sucker when it comes to cats and I fed her. And, uh, and then we discovered she'd actually been hiding two little kittens behind that garage and we didn't discover them until they were about six weeks old. So they were pretty feral and they were not very ha um, happy with human beings. But still they would come up and uh, eat my food. Un ungrateful cats. Uh, <laughs> and so one day we'd, we'd been out and we came home and we heard this terrible thrashing around on the back patio. And when we went out there, we discovered that one of the kittens had slipped um, on, the, on a plastic chair that had a, an unusual sort of shape in the back of it that tapered off. And it had slipped, its leg had gotten caught in the large part and then it, it had slid down and was completely trapped in this chair. And it was thrashing around, really hurting itself, trying to save itself. And, you know, we, we then tried to, uh, you know, come and rescue it. It was, it was such a sight. It was a terrible sight. And we tried to rescue this, this kitten and it just thrashed around and scratched it at us and hit kissed at us and just put up such a performance. And, uh, and finally, we, we got some uh, towels and sort of wrapped, wrapped it around this kitten and lifted it up and out of the chair. It didn't stop to thank us. It took off after that. But uh, it just reminded me of how so often we think we can save ourselves. And so we, we put a lot of work into living a good life or, you know, trying to perhaps redeem some things that we've done bad or, you know, we, we try and work hard or, or, or maybe we just surrender to the fact that we can't possibly be good enough and we just, we just surrender. I want to tell you that both, both endings for that kitten, if we hadn't come to save it, would have been death. And that's our ending too. Without salvation, that's our end. It's death. But Jesus came to sanctify us. In fact, in John 17, 19, he says, for their sake. In other words, for, for us, he was talking about us, for their sake. I consecrate myself. In other words, he set himself apart for this, for this task, that they also may be sanctified in truth. He wanted to make us holy so that we could be in the presence of God, so we could have relationship with, with our Heavenly Father. So that's the first cup, the cup of sanctification. And it really is the cup of salvation for us who call Jesus our, our Lord and Saviour. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. 
So the, the verse there in Exodus is, I will free you from being slaves to them. You know, this is really interesting because what God was saying was, I can take you out of Egypt, but I can also take the Egypt out of you because that's going to need to happen. <laughs> you know, that's really where the, the work begins. Uh, you know, we see the, the following years of the Israelites learning to trust God again, learning to understand their freedoms again. And having been enslaved for so long, there was something inside of them that had to change. And I want to suggest to you today that you know, we're born into a sinful world and into a sin nature and it does some damage on the inside. And Jesus saves us and only He can do that. But He also delivers us from those things that have scarred us, the, the things that we perhaps refer to as baggage in our life, that God can actually deliver us from those things as well. It's interesting that even though, you know, some a thousand years or about 1,300 years after the Exodus, Jesus uh, lived at a time when Israel was oppressed yet again uh, by Rome. And, you know, the Jews were, were really suffering and they, they, they were quite bitter and angry. And one of the reasons many of them didn't acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah was because they were looking for someone to come with a sword to free them from their oppression. Uh, but Jesus actually came to challenge a lot of that internal space, a lot of the way they thought, you know, things like turning the other cheek and walking the extra mile. He, he, he taught some very radical things, but he was, he was really delivering them from that internal state uh, that, that they needed to be delivered from. You know, uh, I'm not enjoying this, uh, this time of social isolation. I don't mind my own time, but I am really missing... Uh, I'm really missing you, church, and I'm missing friends and family and just wanting to hug them and be with them. And um, and it's it's not real fun. And, you know, especially going shopping, definitely not enjoying that <laughs> because uh, everyone kind of treats you like you've got leprosy and you have to treat them like they have it too. Uh, and we're, we're kind of walking around uh, with this paranoia, uh, you know, like... That, that if someone coughs or breathes in our direction, we could, you know, if, attract coronavirus and die. Uh, and it's this incredible mistrust for the for fellow man. A lot of fear. You know, I come I come home from the shops and I I feel I feel like I I've been rejected, <laughs> and I've got to process all of those sort of emotions. It's it, it is weird. And I want to tell you uh, that that is not who we are. It's not who we are as a nation and it's not who I am and, uh, and it's a weird state to be in and I'm determined to not let it get on the inside of me. But I can imagine if you had to live in these conditions for any length of time, it would. It would get on the inside of you. And that's the truth that, uh, you know, a lot of our, uh, of our reality can, can really hurt the, the stuff that's on the inside. But Jesus came to deliver us from that. We, can, we could even be in slavery externally, but completely free internally. This is, this is the gift that Jesus came to bring. Uh, and I love, I love this verse in Romans 8, verse 11. It's from the Message Version. It says, It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, 
He'll do the same thing in you that He did in Jesus, bringing you alive to Himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and He does as surely as He did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With His Spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. That same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. That's what lives in us. And I tell you, that delivers us from all kinds of things. And that's what Jesus came to do. The third cup that, uh, that they drink during the Passover that Jesus would have been drinking with his disciples is the cup of redemption. And this verse packs a punch. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Let me talk about that. You know, God always had a plan for us. And it was a plan to be a part of his family, to be in relationship with him, to walk with him. And we were robbed of that because of sin. And so Jesus had to come to redeem us back to that original plan. You know, I think of those original promises that God made to Abraham, that he would make a nation out of Abraham. And that through that nation, through his line, every nation on the earth would be blessed. And we know that that's exactly what happened through Jesus Christ. Because it wasn't now just the God of the Jews, but it was now the God of anyone who called on Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, who believed in him. He became our God. And that was important to God because he actually has a father's heart. And his plan for us was always to be a part of his family, a part of his kingdom. And so the cup of redemption reminds us that we have been redeemed, bought back, restored back to the original plan that God had for us. Let me read Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons because you are sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. In other words, Daddy God. Daddy, that's the spirit that God has put in us that we can cry out to him like that. And that's his heart for us. And I I love this verse. He didn't just say, look, I will redeem you. Moving on to the next thing. He said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. In other words, God is willing to go to all kinds of lengths to reach us, to pull us out of where we are, to where we belong. Because we've fallen so beneath the state of a son or a daughter of God. And yet God's outstretched arm can reach any corner of the earth. It doesn't matter how, how low we think we've sunk. Our God can reach us. In fact, Psalm 40 verse 2 says this, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Hey, He had to lift me out of a low place. And often we think we belong in that low place, but we don't. We're sons and daughters of, of God. Psalm 18.35 says, You stoop down to make me great. What imagery is that? It's incredible that God would stoop down to where we've found ourselves to, and pick us up and redeem us in such a powerful way and make us great. And he, that, that first, that um, original verse in Exodus says, 
that he will bring mighty acts of judgment. You know, that judgment is leveled at our enemy because just as much as God had a plan for us, so did the devil. And he has been waging a war to try and win, uh, you know, win us against God. And, uh, you know, those mighty acts of judgment that God leveled at Egypt because they refused to let go of the Israelites, he's going to level something even mightier against the devil for trying to hold on to us as well. That's good news. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. That's the power that saves us, that, that delivers us, that redeems us. And finally, the fourth cup is the cup of praise. Now, I guess you, we could think after drinking three glasses of wine, of course the fourth cup is a cup of praise. Everyone's pretty happy at this point around the dinner table. But this is taken from the fourth I will. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. You'll be my people. You know, we're not, we don't just celebrate our individual salvation. We celebrate because God made us a people. Just like he made a people out of Israel, out of Abraham and his descendants. He's making a people out of us. We call that people the church. And we belong to that family. And I don't think we can truly understand what it means to be a Christian unless we are a part of that family. Unless we fully uh, embrace what it means to be a people. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience His marvellous light. And now He claims you as His very own. He did this so that, and this is important, you would broadcast His glorious wonders throughout the world. His glorious wonders. You know, this is an important verse for us to take a hold of. He called us to be His people so that God's always had a purpose for His people. He's had a purpose for us. He's meant for us to make a difference. This is the greatest need of any human being, is to feel like we matter. And we do, we matter to God. We matter to the world. And we matter to each other because we're a people. God has given us a purpose and it's an eternal one. You know, Jesus drank these cups with His disciples and, uh, you know, in the Passover meal and, uh, you know, he says, I won't drink again of the vine until the fulfilment of the kingdom. There are things that we as his people are meant to fulfill. We are, we are fulfilling the will of God on the earth until that day that he returns. Revelations describes the scene as a wedding supper, where the, the wedding supper of the Lamb where he celebrates with the bride of Christ, the church. That's us. And so we now celebrate communion. It's a very distilled version of this incredible evening that Jesus had with his disciples. So full of symbolism, so powerful. And in a small cup of, of grape juice and a little wafer, we, we celebrate this moment. And so maybe if you've got those elements with you, we can, again, 
celebrate that moment and how these four I wills that God promised were fulfilled in the substance of Jesus. And Luke 22 describes the scene of Jesus sharing the Passover with his disciples. He took the bread, he broke it. He says he gave thanks and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, we are so thankful that you poured yourself out for us. Just like that perfect lamb, sprinkled on the doorpost, the blood sprinkled on the doorpost that caused the angel of death to pass over us. Your blood sprinkled heavily on that wooden cross has caused the judgment of our sins to pass over us. We thank you, Lord, for the promises that you have made and kept We thank you, Jesus, that you saved us, that you've delivered us, that you've redeemed us. And God, that you've given us such a sense of purpose. You've made us your people. And Jesus, we just honour you this morning. We just honour all that you did. We remember it. Every time we eat and drink, we remember you and all that you've done for us. And we're so very grateful. Jesus, I just pray right now that your presence would just flood every home, every heart, every ear that is listening this morning, that that you would just allow your presence to be felt. Lord God, that there would be peace brought into households that would wipe away the fears and the anxieties of our day. God, that you would truly bless, bless us on this Good Friday. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, that's Good Friday. But Sunday is coming. So don't forget, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, tune in. We're going to celebrate our risen, resurrected Saviour. God bless you, church. Have a great day.